Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. The question is, is darts really a sport? It was the worst tackle I've ever seen. Fair play to Joe Root. It was a great knock. There's nothing like a good derby match. It was easily the best 7-9 I've ever hit. Right, come on lads, let's crack on. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast with me, Adam Millichip. I'm joined by my colleague and friend Nigel. Hi Nigel, how are you today? I'm really good, thank you very much Adam. Fresh uh, from my holidays. Good, yeah, it's, it's been a lovely summer so far. And we're also joined by our other co-host Tom. How are you Tom? Great, thanks. Good. So Tom is a student at Techno Wood School in Wolverhampton. Techno Wood School is a school for children, young adults with autism. And we've set up this podcast to provide our pupils with a fantastic chance to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety, from a variety of different sports. So this podcast is being brought to you by the TWS Sports Podcast and the Sports Podcast Awards. We will be entering the Sports Podcast Awards and we'll be entering our podcast into the best equality and social impact category. So when voting opens, please make sure you give us a vote and we'll let you know when voting does open. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a Paralympian. She competed in the Paralympics as has won gold in the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Welcome to the podcast, Jade Hall. Thank Woo-hoo. you. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, how would I like to start the podcast, Jade? We've got a few sort of quick fire questions just to kind of ease us in, a bit of an icebreaker. So just quick answers and we'll get to know you a little bit better. And then we've got some some proper questions for you. Perfect. So, Jade, favourite holiday destination? Oh, somewhere on the beach. Favourite food? Pizza, but I shouldn't have it very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, favourite film or TV show? Uh, I'm quite into Walking Dead at the minute. Night in or night out? In. Summer or winter? Summer, for sure. And if you could have dinner with three people, who would they be and why? Oh, um, gosh, that's difficult. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd go with athletes, so someone like Serena Williams, um, Simone Biles, and then 
maybe like Jess Ennis. At what age did you become interested in sport? Um, so I had quite a maybe maybe an unusual kind of start in terms of sports. So I was actually born without my right leg, um, and I went to like a mainstream school, um, but it was I think quite difficult at the time because I, I wasn't super included in PE lessons and those sorts of things. So I didn't really have the best introduction to sport that you, you know, you might associate with an athlete. Um, so I wasn't really interested in sport for a really long time, literally just because I wasn't, didn't really feel like I was able to do it or able to be included. Um, but my, my mom basically had me try out a few different things when I got to like about 12. Um, so I tried to swim in and wheelchair basketball and lots of random things. Um, and so I kind of, I hated all of them. Absolutely hated it. I wasn't interested in sport at all. Um, but then it was kind of by luck almost. So my school had been invited to like a local, almost like sports day where um, local schools brought along anybody that they had attending their school that had an impairment. And so we went along and there were people there from all these different sports uh, with all the right equipment to try it if you're impaired too. So um, Tani Gray Thompson was there with her husband, Ian, and they had a race chair. And they basically just asked me to give it a go. And it, like I say, it was, it was such luck, really, that it kind of happened the way it did. And I gave it a go and just absolutely loved it. So it's very lucky you probably had Great Britain's one of Great Britain's best ever Paralympians. <laughs> They're watching you. <laughs> I know. I mean, there was a bit of pressure there, obviously. <laughs> it was funny because I, like I say, I wasn't really interested in sport at the time. And so when she kind of she she approached me and just asked me to have a bit of a go, and it was like, oh, I don't really want to, but you can't really say no, can you? When a Baroness asks you to do something, no, so. <laughs> no you, yeah, you definitely can't. Exactly. So I just kind of I just gave it a go. But I mean, gosh, now thinking back, I'm so glad I did. Can you imagine? <laughs> so you mentioned there Jade that you were you were born without your your right leg mm. so obviously you mentioned is that impacted on kind of your sport maybe your enjoyment of sport but did you growing up especially in school how how did you find did you find that did you find that a real struggle or did you have a mindset of kind of overcoming that or how did you find that when you were really young yeah I think so my my mum found out at her second scan that um, basically there was just something wrong. My leg wasn't forming right. It had basically grown to a point and then just sort of stopped. Um, so she knew I was going to be disabled when I was born. And I think the doctors at the time basically prepared her for the absolute worst, which I think the things that they were saying to her were quite extreme given what my level of impairment was going to be. Um, there are much more severe impairments out there. And so I think it kind of made my mum think, you know, if she has been told all of these things and I've got a fairly minimal impairment, can you imagine what the mums of people who have more severe impairments are kind of going through? And so I think, you know, they, they basically told her that I, I wouldn't, be able to be independent at all I'd need you know 24-hour care and so her first impressions of what my life was going to be like were potentially not you know the way it actually ended up being so I think when I was born she just made a massive like I've got two sisters so she made a massive effort to make sure that I did everything that they did um you know if they were riding a bike I would be riding a bike too no matter how difficult it was I'd be getting involved and I think 
it just took a bit of imagination at the time really to just adapt things and do things a bit differently but ultimately I was kind of treated the same from the outset at home which I think really shaped my own view of myself um, because it just meant that I didn't see myself as you know I, I knew I shouldn't have been treated any differently and so I already had that mindset when I went to school and I think that probably gave me the confidence to do exactly the same as what all of my peers were doing in school. So I think like for the most part, I, I had a really good kind of school, a good time at school. Um, you know, I wasn't kind of bullied or, or anything like that. And I know that's something that a lot of people do experience when they're disabled. So I think in that respect, I was fortunate to not go, go through those things. Um, but I think something that I've experienced is that often children don't care. They're no. not bothered whether you're, you've got one arm or one leg or whatever. They don't care. Um, it seems to be as you get older that people start to associate those differences with, you know, what you may be able or not able to do. So, yeah, I think for the most part, my, my school life was, was pretty good. Do you feel that having a disability pushed you to try harder? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely because I think people don't expect you to do very much when you're disabled. So I think that almost made me want to do the opposite. Um, I think there are so so many negative kind of narratives and perceptions in the media of disability. And like you, you were almost born into this stigma without even doing anything. And so you've just got to deal with that whichever way you can. And so I think the way that I dealt with that was just by yeah just almost trying to do the absolute opposite of what people always said to me which I don't know my my mum probably at times found quite frustrating but it it kind of it was almost my way of kind of dealing with that and I don't know making sure that people didn't put me in this box that they kind of thought that I should be in. There still is that stigma or do you think things are changing now? Um, I think Within the world of sport, I think things are better than they used to be, for sure. Um, there's a lot more awareness around disability, but I think in terms of everyday life, there's still a long way to go. Um, there's still a lot of places that are inaccessible. There's still an expectation on disabled people. Like I, I talk about this a lot. So my husband is also a Paralympian, uh, a Paralympic athlete, and we talk a lot about how if you're disabled, you you've you followed two tracks you're either expected to be a Paralympian or nothing at all and there's nothing in the middle and it's quite frustrating and so I think yeah there's still a long way to go to getting kind of disabled people more visible just in really normal workspaces and but I think it it's not something that's going to change overnight sadly um I think it's just gonna you know it's going to take time and it's taken time to get Paralympic sport to the point it is now so I think, you know, it's just about keeping pushing on whenever, you know, those conversations arise and not being afraid to have those opinions and make them heard. Because I think sometimes people feel like they are almost being a bit of a burden or, you know, complaining all the time. But actually nothing's going to change unless we you know, continue to speak up when things aren't really being you know, done equally. Like you, I think even looking at like the media the Olympics was on on BBC One. It was on all day, and like the Paralympics is on it's on Channel Four, which is it's amazing. It's being shown, but it's still not getting the coverage that the Olympics got. Um, 
And I watched the the wheelchair bus and wheelchair rugby yesterday, and it was incredible. It was amazing. It was I loved watching it, and it was so so fascinating watching. And GB did so well to win the gold in the rugby. Mm. And you're right; it's just it's still not getting the coverage that that at the Olympics is getting. It's getting better, yeah. but I still think a lot more needs to be done by the media and and other outlets to to make Paralympics and just disability in sport more public and more more widespread um but i said it's yeah. it's getting better but it still needs a lot of work to be done yeah and i think i think the media really like to talk about equality and talk about how far the paralympic movement is going which it is but i also think that they have a responsibility themselves you know if they want to talk about equality and they want to share and spread these stories about disabled people then they need to be covering them equally um I think we can't continue to preach equality if we're all not doing our own bit. Yeah. It, you know, it can't just come from disabled people. It can't just come from Paralympians to keep talking about it. Everybody needs to be talking about it. Otherwise, it's not going to change. And like you say, things are getting better. But I feel like we, as athletes, you can't constantly be grateful for the small bit that you're given when you see just a few weeks ago, like Olympians are getting given so much more. and yeah so we can't constantly just be grateful for that tiny bit we need to just keep pushing on until things are more equal but yeah it's frustrating at times but I think as an athlete at times you've just got to push it to the back of your mind and kind of get on with the race and things that you're doing because it's very easy to be consumed by it as well Uh, with regards to disability sports do you think schools could be doing more yeah absolutely yeah I do like I say, you kind of looked into it, didn't you? Yeah. And I was just wondering how easy it is for someone uh, with a disability to get involved in disability sports. I think often at schools that um, cater more for disabled people, it's easier. But I, I just, I went to a mainstream school, and there was no reason why I shouldn't have. Um, but that also then made it very difficult for me to be involved in sport. So there weren't really any facilities or any provisions there was there was nothing no plan really made for how to include me and again like I said earlier I've got a really quite a minimal impairment and so if I can't be included then there's almost no hope for somebody that is more impaired so I think there's a lot more that can be done and I think a lot of it is around education really um it's because it, it's so simple to adapt PE, really. It is. It's just knowing how to do it. And once you know, you can just apply that to every lesson. So I think, yeah, there's just a lot more education that's needed around disability because really, like I was saying earlier, the only way that disability is going to become more normalised is if people are completely integrated. You know, if children see disabled people doing sport, doing playing games and doing all these things that children do, then it it makes it more normal, doesn't it? But if there are constantly these barriers in the way and sport and PE lessons are made inaccessible, then nothing's going to change. So I think, yeah, things could be better. And like you say, my experience, it wasn't that long ago, really. Um, I'm 25. It wasn't that long ago that I was in school and it was still kind of inaccessible. And I think from a perspective outside of school as well, like children who aren't disabled can just go down to their local club and be welcomed with open arms and included straight away and it's not an issue 
whereas someone that's disabled that's not necessarily something that you can do you know if you need equipment but it's not it's not there and it's not cheap either which is something that frustrates me because it creates just another barrier another level of difficulty for someone who's disabled to get into sport and it's really hard because I don't know how you can change that when that's all there is you know currently that's what the option is and if you need equipment then it's expensive and that's Mm. the reality of it and it's just how to kind of get around that and I know there's a lot of charities and things out there that do some really great work and um, do provide equipment and things for disabled people but there's still so much more that could be done really. Jay just moving on now to kind of more your career and you mentioned that Tanya Gray Thompson was a big influence in your career so kind of from that age of sort of 12 or 13 whenever, whenever sort of Tanya Gray Thompson got involved how did your career move what was kind of the next stage when you were sort of mid-teens? Yeah so when I first started for me it was just about the love of sport like I, I just loved the way it feel, like made me feel the freedom it gave me the independence it gave me um, so at first it was just really low level and I you know I wasn't taking it seriously and I didn't really have any you know expectations to become a sports person or do anything with it it was purely because it made me feel good and the health benefits that came with it but um Tani and Ian both um basically just asked me to do a race there were some local ones that were coming up um track races and road races and the more I did the more I wanted to do so it just kind of really naturally evolved for me um it wasn't forced at all. It was just a case of actually, I just really want to do it more. So it just kind of gradually kept going that way. And um, as I got older and I got a bit stronger and a bit quicker, I kind of started to see a different sort of future. And I think I, I spent a lot of time watching YouTube of old races from, you know, all, all these girls that I actually now compete against, which is crazy. <laughs> At the time it was like, oh my word, like I would love to follow in their footsteps. So it's kind of strange now when you're sat on the same start line and friends with a lot of them as well. So yeah, it just kind of really naturally evolved for me. But um, I think I was probably about 14 when I kind of thought about, you know, maybe I could actually have a future in it and, you know, this is, could be where my life goes. Um, But even at that point, like you say, you're 14, thinking back now, it's like, how on earth did I, did I think that that's, you know, where my life was going to go? You don't really know what you're doing at 14, do you? You kind of no. just, I don't know, you have all these ideas, but often life doesn't go that way. But, yeah, I think I was lucky enough to be able to continue that and keep that going. How did you feel uh, when you first got your call-up for the uh, Paralympics in 2012? Really surreal. Um, I was 16 at the time, so I think... Like it was a really exciting time there, I think, for everybody, just being around the buzz of the build up to the games and the adverts were on TV, and it just was so exciting. The fact that it was a home games and everybody knew about it, and whether you were really a sports fan or not, and people were talking about it. So, I think for me, like, I always thought I'd be going, but I always thought I'd be going to watch rather than compete. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think, yeah, it, it. it wasn't a surprise, but it almost, it, it took me off guard a little bit. I think I, I trained so hard in that winter leading into London and I was just so excited about being involved in any way that I could and 
just knowing people that were definitely going to be going was really really cool for me um so then I don't know that that summer leading into the games I um I had some really good performances and was lucky enough to go out to the states for the first time where um a lot of my biggest competition lies the Americans are really strong in wheelchair racing and so I had some really good opportunities to race with them and kind of learn a lot from that but that also gave me the opportunity because wheelchair racing is a lot like cycling so you need other people around you um, especially in the distance events it's um, there's a lot of drafting and a lot of tactics and stuff that comes into it so having those people to compete with really just spurs you on and gave me the opportunity to go quick so um, it was literally that event that got me the times that I needed to go to the games and and that must have been in the in the June. And so the games were in August, so not not very long after. So, but yeah, like getting that phone call. I, I, there's we all know which day it's going to be. So there's a there's a day the selection meeting is held, and it's always held in the morning. And so you kind of sat there all day waiting for this phone call, and it it's quite nerve wracking because I think it was well, it was more nerve wracking for my mum, I think, because she was really aware of wow, you know, this is huge, like if this actually happens whereas for me I was still quite young and just almost kind of naive and just kind of plodding along with my day and then I got the phone call and it just yeah it was amazing absolutely my mum was crying obviously Um, (laughs) but it was just the most amazing thing and then it wasn't it was only a few weeks later that you then are going out to the holding camp and so I think once you get that phone call it all then happens really quickly and afterwards it's like whoa like what on earth just happened like this kind of two months were just such a whirlwind but just the most amazing experience am i right in thinking that at the start of your career it was was it the 400 800 1500 you competed in yeah how did you get on at those those paralympics and what are your kind of memories of of actually competing so I think for me, because I was so young, I didn't have any pressure or expectations going into it. It was purely a games for experience for me and to kind of get a feel for what it was like. Um, so I remember um, my coach called me up a few weeks before and I answered the phone. It was so noisy on the other end of the line. I was like, what on earth is that? What's what's going on? And my coach is a bit of a technophobe. So part of me was like, oh, he's like butt dialed me again <laughs> but um, <laughs> but he he was actually in the stadium when Jess Ennis was finishing her final event like literally in the last 200 meters on the way to winning gold and um he was like listen to the crowd listen to it and it's so noisy and then a few days later I got an email and he'd sent me like a recording of the crowd and he was like right get get that on your phone play it through your headphones as loud as you can while you're training <laughs> he's like this is what it's going to be like <laughs> and I, I was 16 and so obviously I knew everything and I said well it's not said, it's the Paralympics like nobody wants to watch so I'm not going to do that so I didn't I didn't do it and then um, I remember pushing into the stadium for my first event and looking around and there being 80,000 people in there it was packed out you couldn't you couldn't get a ticket for well for however much money you wanted there was no way of getting tickets and it was so overwhelming because I was the only British athlete in the event and so everybody just went crazy as soon as my name was called out and 
honestly I've never experienced anything like it I I, I like I froze I was just like what on earth how do I do all this um and my coach was sat on the sideline and I told you so <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it was such a huge learning curve for me because like I say at the time I almost had myself this expectation of disability sport in that nobody cares and nobody's interested because I'd never experienced anybody really other than family members coming to watch um so I think it was a big eye-opener for me and just this incredible experience to be able to compete in front of people who just loved sport and really just wanted to see someone do well um but yeah in terms of my results so I was really lucky enough to make a final um in the 1500 which was very exciting for me um and I, I also there was another GB girl, um, Shelley Woods was also in the final too, which was really cool to kind of share that experience of a home games and to be able to get to a final at 16 was just incredible for me. Um, but I think I kind of left the games just feeling so excited and just wanting to do more next time. Um, but yeah, I think so in terms of my distances and stuff, it just kind of progressed for me. So I started doing sprints. Um, I started doing the 100 meters when I was really young um, and just gradually kind of worked out what I enjoyed and what I was interested in and so kind of have gradually moved up the distances um, to the point now where I kind of focus more on marathons than I do anything else which is crazy really when you think it started at 100. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit of a change. Exactly just keep going keep going as far as I can go but um, yeah so it has kind of progressed but yeah, no, London was just incredible for me. And I think also to be in the village environment too. And that was the first time I'd experienced that. And so to be surrounded by so many people who had like these huge goals and aspirations was just incredible. Like it's not very often that you are in that sort of environment. And so I just found that just incredible. You have won two gold medals. Which one was more memorable for you? Um, I think so. Commonwealth Games, I think, in 2018 for sure in the triathlon. So I made the decision after Rio Paralympics to go for a bit of a change. So my coach Ian, so he had worked with the British Triathlon Squad for a little while at that point, and I'd heard great things. Like you know, they they have a really great environment there, and it's really positive and encouraging, and so. I kind of just felt like I had been wheelchair racing for a really long time and, you know, on the track for a long time. And I was just kind of ready to do something new and have a new challenge. And it had just been announced that for the Commonwealth Games, they would, because we don't have every event, the Paralympic side doesn't have every event at the Commonwealth Games. Um, But it had been announced that we would have a marathon in the race chair and then a paratriathlon. And so I remember sitting down with my coach and just being like, right, I've got this that's crazy idea I'd really like to do both (laughs) I just remember his face he's like oh goodness sake like (laughs) making things difficult for yourself um and at this time I couldn't even swim so I can't even imagine what he must have thought like what a nutter she is just you know what wants to do these crazy things um but we just kind of sat and broke it down and just made these like really small goals of how I could actually get there these stepping stones along the way um so I had four years between the games um to kind of get prepared and try and learn to swim and all those other bits (laughs) um so 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot, a lot of long, tedious hours in the pool. But um, at so many times, I felt like giving up because it just didn't come easily to me. Whereas, so I think the race chair section, because I'd done it from being so young, it just felt like second nature. And then the handbike section also just, I felt like it just came to me naturally and I just really enjoyed it. And I think because I like being outdoors, it kind of played into that side too. Whereas the swim was something that I just found really difficult. and like technique it's, it's such a technical sport which is something else that I just found difficult so yeah but it was so rewarding when I then was able to do really well at um at the Commonwealth Games and the Paratri because all that time I'd spent literally back to basics so uh, yeah I think it was just really rewarding to be able to actually come away and see all that hard work actually pay off that's amazing. Like you said, you mentioned you did the power triathlon and so that combines so sprinting in the in sort of a wheelchair is it? and then yeah. cycling on a handbike. Yeah. Which obviously them two them two sports can be adapted. But swimming yeah. swimming can't be adapted. You can't yeah. so no. you have you've only got one leg and you're swimming. Yeah. You can't you can't adapt that in any way. So that must have been so challenging for you. It How did bring you- with it its own challenges. So you Obviously, most coaches know how to coach someone who has all four limbs. So obviously, it brings with it different challenges in the water when my balance isn't the same on both sides. Um, So my core strength isn't the same on both sides. So it it did mean we kind of had to adapt and learn along the way. And so even the coaches themselves were learning and kind of adjusting, you know, how do we how do we make this work for someone who isn't balanced on both sides? So it, it was a massive learning curve, not just for me, but obviously for the coaches too, which I think was something that they also enjoyed because it it was just kind of something a bit different and just kind of learning how to adapt and move forward with that and, you know, also make my technique the best it could be with, with kind of also de- dealing with those imbalances. So we'd like to share some of the fantastic messages that we've received. Our first one comes from Ian in Ohio, USA, who says, what a great podcast. I love listening to the amazing guests and the stories they have to tell. This podcast is breaking down the barriers of autism and showing everyone what fantastic things autistic children can do. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your reviews. And if you've got any more, please keep them coming. We always try and read them out on the podcast. So you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts current Paralympics at the moment Jade have you been watching it and what's been your kind of your favorite moment at this year's Paralympics who's been your favorite competitor or your favorite standout moment um I have been watching it I've obviously been watching uh, my paratriathlon teammates which is really exciting over the last few days to so seeing um Lauren Stedman win gold so she got silver out in Rio um and I know how hard she's worked to uh, to get that gold so it was really nice to actually watch her see all of that all those efforts kind of come into fruition which was really cool um but to be honest I've just been watching a bit of everything which is what I love about the Olympics and Paralympics like you just turn on your tv and watch something new and there's sports even in the Paralympics that I haven't seen or you know watch very much of so I've just been enjoying kind of watching everything and I've, I've got friends on the wheelchair basketball team and stuff so that's been really cool as well to see them but it's almost kind of surreal as well because there's these people who you you know quite well and you spend quite a lot of time with, and then they're all, they're on the TV too, which is pretty cool. 
So am I right in saying last year you decided to take a little break, break mm. from sport and and obviously not compete in this year's Paralympics. What was your reasoning behind that? And do you wish you maybe competed now or, or not? So there, there were two reasons for it. Um, so obviously I finished the 2019 season and we we have a very small break at the end of the year, so about two weeks, and then you kind of get back into it. And so um, we've been training so hard. We'd spent, you know, made the decision to go to uh, Spain to do a lot of our training to try and get the best weather we could so we weren't impaired by the weather as well leading into the games year. Um, and I was actually out in Spain when basically COVID hit and it was it was quite a scary experience actually because there were borders closing everywhere and we'd driven over because I've got a little sausage dog and he comes everywhere with me <laughs> so we'd driven over um and so it was it was quite a scary experience trying to get back home and um yeah so basically by the time we got home everything then started shutting down in the UK and I think everybody was in the same experience, same boat, really, just kind of these new experiences and new things kind of being thrown at everybody. Um, but then the games got postponed, which is something that nobody would ever have thought could happen. Um, but I think leading up to that decision, it was quite a difficult time as an athlete because you're training for an event, which you're not also morally not really sure should go ahead. And don't really know how to deal with that. There's no races, everything's being cancelled. but at that point they were still saying the games were going ahead and so that was quite a difficult time to continue training and just trying to deal with these situations given that you couldn't swim there weren't any pools open and as a triathlete that's quite difficult <laughs> um so we spent a lot of time in the open water which which was fine because at that time of year it was okay but there was also in the back of your mind it's like at some point it's going to get too cold to be here so how are we going to adapt and make this work um so yeah, there were a lot of big things that year, that year that happened. But one of the biggest ones was um, so in August last year, I had a viral infection that basically travelled to my heart. So my heart became inflamed, and I got something called um, perimyocarditis, which isn't all that easy to say, but basically <laughs> means your your heart becomes inflamed and it just takes a really long time to settle down. And so I had to have eight months out of sport completely. And when I say out of sport, like I couldn't even walk the dog. It was really, really difficult. And I think it's difficult for anybody to be told they can't do something, but for an athlete who spends so much of their time exercising, it was really hard to go from doing all this exercise to nothing. So there was an element of, well, obviously that was a huge thing that meant that actually I had so much time out. I was never going to be fit enough in time for the games to compete. But also part of me wanted to sort of own that decision and make it my own decision rather than an illness kind of taking that away from me. So I very early on decided, okay, you know, I am 25. I kind of want to, there's other things I want to do and want to experience and things. So I kind of thought, well, you know what, if if I have this illness now, well, maybe this is the perfect time to just go, okay, let's just take a little bit of time to get healthy again and have a bit of a break and do some things you're maybe not able to do when you're training full time and having all these kind of sacrifices and things and, you know, being able to spend time with friends and family, which I wouldn't normally get to at this time of year, which is really nice. Um, so I kind of, 
but it was it was double-ended really um so obviously the illness kind of was the big one but then I kind of I just wanted to make that decision for myself and didn't want it made for me so yeah I kind of did that but um and a lot of people keep saying to me oh she's retired I'm I'm 25 I'm not retired (laughs) (laughs) it's just a break um so yeah I, I will be back at some point it's just in what capacity and how I kind of get there but I'm um I'm a lot better now I'm I'm back training and stuff and exercising so when I say I'm having a break I'm still I'm still training every day I'm just not doing as much of the racing side of it um which is often the mental kind of side of it too so yeah so will we will we see you in Paris maybe who knows (laughs) (laughs) three years is a long time also not very long at all is it but um yeah who knows I'm um I'm hoping to get back on the road racing circuit, like the UK road racing circuit this year, mm. just kind of doing some small races just for fun um, and see how those go. Um, it, it's very hard to come back after so long out. Um, I think when I first got the go ahead to start training again, it was just so exciting because I hadn't trained in such a long time and I was just really excited to get there and do it. But then the more time went on, you realize how much fitness you lose over eight well even over the two-week break that we normally have at the end of the year you come back and you go oh I feel a bit sluggish but that for eight months is yeah it's been difficult but I feel like I'm now getting to a point where I feel comfortable when I'm training which is good um so it's getting it's getting closer and yeah hopefully we'll see we'll see how it goes (laughs) what do you think is the most important message of the Paralympics um I think, gosh, that's hard. But I think what the Paralympics does, I think in some ways the Paralympics has a lot more power than the Olympics does in that it has a huge power to change perceptions. Mm -hmm. So I know the IPC put something out the other day, the We Are the 15 thing. I don't know if you saw that. So it's 15% of people in the world that have some sort of disability. It's a huge amount of people, right? But not 15% of people are included in the workplace or in all other aspects of life. And so I think that's something that the Paralympics has the power to do. It has the power to change those perceptions and allow people to realise that, you know, disabled people are more than capable of doing. Yeah, it's about what you can do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that in that way, the Paralympics almost has more power than the Olympics ever will do because there's so much growth from there um, in terms of just the general public who are disabled. So I think it is about just giving that confidence to disabled people too, even if, um, you know, the route into work or whatever isn't as easy as it might be for somebody who's not disabled. It's just showing that those things are possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what this podcast is about as well. It's about showing people what, you know, people, uh, autistic people can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and empowering them. Watching the Paralympics, I see so many fantastic and amazing athletes who don't let their disability kind of get in the way of, of, of anything they do. I was watching table tennis the other day and the man was using his mouth to hold the, yeah. the racket. Yeah. Um, and it was just incredible to watch. Do you think as a Paralympian, you need a different different mindset to an Olympian, do you think? I think to an extent, yeah, because the world isn't accessible. Naturally, it's not an accessible place. Um, naturally, disabled people can be excluded from things. And so I think in order to be a Paralympian, you do have to 
adapt and you've almost got a responsibility that I think Olympians don't necessarily have in that you, you it carries this almost pressure to show people you're you're not just proving to yourself what you can do you're proving to other people which I think is unfair at times but something that you almost take take on board and do as well um but yeah I think there's almost a different level of resilience there because you're constantly battling against perceptions and like also just general equality in races too like the something that gets I get frustrated about it often is so the coverage of Olympics versus Paralympics but also the level of funding level of sponsorship and stuff like that you you'll notice a lot more Paralympians will also have a full-time job alongside doing it um, because the funding is not there or there's not as much of it around and sponsorship is much harder to come by um, so I think in that aspect you have a lot more different external things that you have to kind of take in your stride and just be aware of when you want to be a Paralympian. Mm-hmm. I was looking at your, I think your your marathon or your half marathon, or your, your times, and they were very similar to to an able-bodied sort of times. Do you think there's ever an opportunity or a chance maybe to combine Paralympics and the Olympics or do you think they should be completely two separate separate things? There's a lot of talk about this. Um, I, I see both sides. I do. I see how it could be better in some ways to have them together because it would. So the Commonwealth Games are, are inclusive, completely integrated. Um, and what it does mean is that the coverage is then the same, which is better. But I think the difficulty you have is logistically, it's just it would just be a nightmare. The games would probably about be about two months long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and could you imagine housing that many athletes and that many staff members? And so I think logistically it's not viable. But I also think that, like I said before, like the Paralympics have almost serve a different purpose at times. And so I think including putting them together maybe takes away from that. But yeah, it's an interesting concept because it does work really well for the Commonwealth Games. And I the one thing that I loved about it is just how equally you were treated when you were there because it was included. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it would be logistically possible. <laughs> I think people talk about this one all the time. Every, every time the games come around, people talk about how it could be put together, but I don't know. I'm not sure it would ever happen. <laughs> you wants to watch the Paralympics. Oh, um, so the marathon's coming up. So um, we, Dave Weir is racing again, which yeah. is incredible to see him over the marathon distance. Um, there are some American girls that will go really well there. Um, I say wheelchair racing, it's because it's what I know. And <laughs> um, so the paratriathlon's already been, I know the wheelchair rugby girls are now through to the quarterfinals, which will be really cool to see them go. Because they, so they got fourth in um, in Rio. So I know they're um, really pushing to try and get a medal this time around, which would be really cool. Uh, I was looking at your Instagram account. I noticed that you've recently been to the Leeds Festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you had a great time there oh it was amazing yeah do you know what I was a bit apprehensive so um I've always wanted to go I've never been to a festival before because it always clashes with race season so this is the other thing this is the first time I've been able to um even consider going 
And so I spoke to my husband about it and my husband's a wheelchair user as well. And he was like, oh gosh, I'm not really sure it's going to be accessible. Um, and we were actually really pleasantly surprised. We got there and there were the viewing platforms. and It was, it was really good. Who did you enjoy seeing? Oh, I love Sam Fender. So he was amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Thank you so much, Jade. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this and, and really appreciate you coming on and speaking to us. We really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, I hope you continue to inspire a whole generation of people, uh, Jade. Hopefully. We'll keep trying anyway. (laughs) Thank you very much. Fabos, thank you so much and all the best with your training and hopefully see you in Paris. Hopefully. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. Thank you. See you later. So I'd just like to finish by thanking the Sports Podcast Awards for teaming up with us today to help make this episode happen and, and to get Jade on the show for us. It's been great speaking to Jade and we've really, really appreciated it. So remember, the TWS Sports Podcast are going to be entering the Sports Podcast Awards and you'll be able to vote for us when, when voting opens. And we'll make sure we tell you when voting opens via these episodes and our social media. So please keep a lookout for that and please please vote for us. So thanks again for everyone for, for listening to this episode. We really, really appreciate you listening and your, your support and, and thank you so much. Make sure to share the TWS Sports podcast as much as you can and with friends and family. Uh, we need for we need for the, the podcast to be spread out as much as we can. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.